Next up in the Killy Tapes, this is week three, uh, and I have a very special guest here, one that I know Eagles fans and NFL fans alike will love, and Jason Kelsey. Uh, funny thing about Jason Kelsey is, not only is he a Super Bowl champion, teammate of mine, uh, a, a brilliant guy, uh, you know, you don't see him with his helmet off a lot, I know he looks like a caveman, a regular uh, Neanderthal with the face mask on. Uh, but behind that beard, behind that persona, he's a very interesting guy. And he's also patient zero for chalk, uh, because he was the first interview we did on the mountain, two dudes on a rock, uh, you know, the Killy tapes, it was born as my first interview. I think I ever did was JC Kelsey, uh, at about, I don't know, 12,000 feet, something like that. It was high up wherever it was. And we had a lot of fun. Uh, so check this one out. You're not going to want to miss it. Jason Kelsey, one of my favorite teammates of all time, obviously gives great speeches. He's a great interview as well. I'm here with Philly legend and icon Jason Kelsey at 11,400 feet, and we're two dudes on a rock. Yes, we are. How are you feeling? The rock's pretty hard. <laughs> it is. My first question for you would be, um, what kind of drugs were you on at the parade, and how can I find them? <laughs> Billy Curry ain't got it. Oh, well, I can't fit the scheme. Michael Jackson can't fit the scheme. Nigel Brown can't catch. Jayla Mills can't cover. Patrick Robinson can't cover. It's the whole team. It's the whole team. The only drug I was on was alcohol. Okay. In copious amounts. Yeah, it was copious. <laughs> Where did you get the outfit? Have you talked about that before? I, a little bit, but um, so you know Libby. Yeah. So Libby's husband. He's our barber. Our, our barber, yeah. yeah. Libby's husband, Bobby, has been a mummer for like 30 years. Right. And I'm sitting down, I said to Kylie, my wife, um, it's like, I, I think if I'm going to do the parade, I'm going to do it Philadelphia style. Like, that's, that's I should get like a mummer's suit. That's pretty much. Yeah. As Philly as it gets, because people don't know mummers. I mean, I remember a lot of my buddies was like, like they hit me up like, what the fuck was Jason dressed yeah, it's as? Like, looks like a genie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looked like Aladdin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you found it from Libby's husband and... Yeah, so Kylie reminded me that Bobby's been a mummer for 30 years, so I shot right. Libby a text. She got the Bobby and like within 15 And they found minutes. a mummer your size. Yeah, he's actually bigger than me, 6'4", uh, 3'10". Have you met him? Yeah, he's a big dude. One thing that caught me off guard about you, and the cool thing is, like, I learn shit about you all the time. Yeah. And we eat a lot of breakfast at work, um, and we have some great conversations, but, you know, one thing that I thought was really cool and you blew me away with was your musical talent <laughs> that you keep, again, a secret. Sure, yeah. Uh, like the mummer thing. Like, talk about where that started and where it's gone. Yeah, um, so I started playing saxophone in fourth grade. Like, the area that we, that my brother, my, me and my brother grew up in, you, yeah. like, had the option in fourth grade to like play music right and i don't know why but i just love the saxophone yeah and um i kept playing through high school i actually was on the jazz ensemble it was a big deal at the time did i'm not even messing with you like we would tour every spring break did you wear a uniform oh yeah what did it look like like you know, it was like a school uniform tuxedo type did girls like the uniform yeah, it wasn't really for the girls, you know. It was more just for the, for the you know the prideful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, teams uh, yeah. aspect of it. But we would uh, we would tour every spring break. Uh, like we went to New York. And, like we would literally battle other schools in those areas. Like, Not making this the up. Bands. Battle the jazz ensembles. Yeah. No shit. Yep. And you still play. 
still play. I, I put down the saxophone for a while in college because I didn't think in college people wanted to hear me play saxophone. Like would, in a dorm. You would be wrong. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> you probably would right. Be wrong. <laughs> but um, so I picked up the guitar and, and learned the guitar when I was like a freshman in college. Yeah. And um, I kind of just I just t- toy around with music. It's well, like a kind of like a like a nice hobby just to take my mind off. Things. What's harder, sax or, or guitar? Um, I think that um, I think guitar is a lot easier to like become average at everything gotcha um i think saxophone but, but people who are really really good at guitar there's like a in my opinion there's a whole nother level maybe it's just because i'm better at saxophone but people that can play like uh flamingo like mm. just finger picking going all over the place and whatnot I, like you can do so much more with a guitar than you can with a saxophone you're limited with a saxophone yeah do you have like more artistic liberty yeah like i and, feel like you know you see all the 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 i don't know what i'm talking about but like with a yeah. guitar you see all like the add-ons and like you know you, you can put certain things yeah. on and make it sound different and whatnot yeah it's a more versatile instrument right and also on the guitar you can play chord you have the freedom to play chords that's why you can i mean anybody can pick up a guitar learn you know seven eight chords and right. you can play 80 percent of the music yeah. and just sing along right right with the with saxophone all you can do is a melody you can't do a chord right you can just do uh straight notes so and you played sax in front of a bunch of people recently uh yeah well i've, I've marched down um so after the parade, it kind of obviously publicity went up, and uh, I decided to return the favor for them. Let me borrow the mummer suit by marching with that string band. Got you. And we marched down Maniung. It was my first time ever marching and playing because I never did marching band in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a new experience. It was a lot harder than sitting in a chair and playing saxophone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also got to play with my high school band that I used to tour with. They just so happened to have their spring break tour scheduled for Philly last year. Oh, nice. So I was able to go, they went to Central High School, which is a big time high school in Philadelphia. And I was able to sit in and play with the two jazz bands and kind of enjoy that. To me, it seems petrifying. Like like a, a musician, a great musician, all athletes want to be musicians, right? Yeah, yeah. And like for me, I always wish that I had the skill to be a musician. Like I saw, like, <laughs> Like guitar, especially. I just feel like if you're a great guitarist, like you're just badass level 11 on a scale of one to 10. Mm-hmm. And like when I saw the Chili Peppers, the one thing I took away from it was like, Flea's a god, man. Yeah. Like this guy, he's superhuman. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just the ability to get in front of people and not give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, like that's away. yeah no, no, no. You know, we're high up here. <laughs> and, 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 and not give a fuck. And so to me, like, What's harder, you fuck up a note playing guitar in mm-hmm. front of a room full of people, or the sax, or you give up a sack. Like, what's more petrifying? I'm not talking, I would, about, I would, I'm not talking about like a covered sack. I'm talking about you got run yeah, over. Yeah, I would say this. I think um, if you miss one note, if you're a good enough musician and you just go with the flow, chances are most people aren't going to notice it unless it's like a big note of the song, right? right. Um, so you can kind of play that off. It's, it's hard to play off a sack on like third down it's like hard, it's it's, it's right there but you you kind of mentioned um you know you you would be like nervous to play in front of that many people right yeah but they would probably be nervous to play football in front of a million people yeah and i think the reason that we kind of feel that way about musicians these dudes practice non-stop yeah. so to them they're just doing what they've done right like a million times right so i think 
maybe they're nervous for like probably the first few like big concerts right. or first concerts they do but yeah. after that i think they just get into a rhythm not that it's any less impressive i mean but I, national anthem people still find a way to screw it up yeah you're <laughs> but, right i mean like you're right but maybe that's like an artistic that's liberty that they're taking but that's also not most people haven't practiced the national anthem right as much as they practice the material they're performing in a concert right unfortunately I mean, right like I, I remember at the all-star game the fergie thing and she became like a meme immediately because the fergie thing yeah. and she took an artistic liberty yeah uh, she's a great musician yeah there's uh, just some songs you got to stay more true to the course with right. <laughs> right it's like some techniques on the field you got to run the technique yeah i'm I mean, gonna like, try this here that's when i get in the most trouble on the football field is when i'm like I'm going to do something different this yeah. time, and I'm going to make a play. Yeah. And I can tell you, like, distinctly that there's plays I'm not going to mention because then people look them up <laughs> that, like, you know, where the back of my head hits the ground yeah. because I do something stupid. And uh, luckily people don't watch linemen very much. That's the one saving yeah. grace of being a lineman. Our mm -hmm. most embarrassing plays, most times, for y'all it's worse. You know, if I get pancaked, people might not see it. Now, of yeah. course, when you fuck up on the field, yeah. every, you're, my first thought, at least, is like, I'm in the broadcast in my head. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, man, people are tweeting about me. Like, I'm a meme right now. Yeah, and then I go watch good. the TV copy after and they didn't even notice. Yeah, no, I guess that wasn't that bad. Yeah. But like for y'all, it's kind of, I mean, when you get beat for a sack, it's hard to recover. Yeah, when you get beat for a sack or you, uh, you know, have a high snap as a center. Oh. Everybody kind of knows what just happened. Yeah, there's no hiding it, bro. <laughs> But I'll say this, like, for for an O-lineman, um, when you get beat, um, the best guys, like we were just saying, don't have the thought of, I'm going to do th this thing over here to completely fix this problem and do something drastically different than I've ever done. And I think the, and I think that might be different, the difference between O-line and D-line. It is, for sure. You guys aren't measure, measured statistically. Now, the lows of being an O-lineman are lower than the lows of being a D-lineman. Yeah. But when, when you know, you're having a game where, you know, as a D-lineman, you haven't made a play yet. Yeah. And you're like, man, I got pressure to I make gotta, a play. Yeah. I got to do too much. For sure. And that's where guys get in trouble. Well, and it's, as a D-lineman, like, as a D-lineman, chaos is almost your friend, right? Yeah. So sometimes doing something out of the ordinary that the offensive lineman isn't expecting right. can like completely change the game. As an offensive lineman, if you do something that's different right. from the guy next to you and like you guys aren't all in sync yeah. doing the proper technique, like it could, right. bad stuff could happen. Bad. And uh, we, we call it going into the matrix. Oh, do you? Yeah, when you know, you're, you're, you're You've taken, yeah, you've, we've called people that. You, you, we've called that like when your your arms are flailing in the air. Yeah, well, you get. And Jason you, Peters has a DM like you know with, <laughs> he's got he's got one foot on the ground and one foot off the yeah. ground and two you know but. Yeah, you get beat for a sack and then all of a sudden you're, you're in your head and you you've taken the wrong you've taken the red pill yeah. you should have taken the blue, Take the blue pill, and bro. all of a sudden you don't pill. know which what's what's real anymore yep. you don't know. Uh, uh, should I go with this technique or should I try something? And then all of a sudden, those plays start adding up, and it just turns into a game. It's like, hey, the co you know, the coach come, you come to sign, and Stout's like, you know, what's wrong with uh, what's wrong with such and such? And I'm like, yeah, he's in the matrix. He's in the <laughs> matrix. And like, and you can tell when you're playing an alignment. When you beat him once, if he doesn't have the wherewithal to stick to his shit, oh yeah, he's gonna have a long day. And then he starts, you know you know, jump setting, but out of his technique absolutely. or oversetting or, yeah. and that's how we make money. So, yeah, so absolutely. And you, and you know, like if you, if you legitimately bull rush a guy yeah. and then you go to the second time to go get him and you feel him mm -hmm. lean and close his eyes and yeah. lean. I mean, the next time. You're, yeah, exactly. Everything's so. a, so, so I guess the million dollar question is climbing Kilimanjaro or blocking Aaron Donald one-on-one. -on -one, what's scarier? Oh my gosh. 
blocking your internal <laughs> yeah. He's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Um, I don't know that anybody in the league can block Aaron Donald one on one. He's no. pretty dang good. Him and Fletch, to yeah. me, and you and you play Fletch in practice, but he's not in a zero much. I mean, he's not in a shade much. Yeah, I, mean, I don't play either of those guys. Thankfully, yeah, I mean, too you, much. You're not gonna you're not gonna deal with Aaron much, but like I see Fletch and AD abuse people yeah. just on a regular basis, but they do it in such different ways, which is what's yeah. so cool. I mean, they're different body types. Completely. But uh, but but they're they're different players. And I think Fletch might be more of a throwback. Where he's he's gonna be you know a run stuffer all the time and Eddie's gonna take more gambles. Yep. But they're both two of my favorites to watch. Yeah. Do you have a favorite guy to watch? And it doesn't have to be a three tech. Um, it could be any D lineman. Or is there a guy that you played that you were like, I wasn't expecting him to be this good? I mean, there's been there, a lot of guys. There's, there's a lot of guys. There's more D lineman I like watching. But like for you, mm -hmm. you could watch both sides. I mean, because I don't understand yeah. the art form. Like I like one guy I like watching is J.R. Sweezy. Yeah. Just because. He throws everything he has in every single play, yep. and it's like a relentless type of effort. And like he might completely whiff on a play. He's gonna try to burp people. Yeah. He's gonna finish yeah. every block. And he's that guy that you know, if you're a D lineman, because I played him in Seattle and Breno Giacomini as well. Yeah. I mean, those guys on the same line. Yeah. If you have the right mindset, they can elevate your game. But if you're not ready to play, yeah, they can get in your head. For sure. You know, they're gonna piss you off, and mm -hmm. if you're ready to fight. I'm gonna fight too, and I'm gonna play my best game. Yep. But those guys are gonna get you. Yeah, it's relentless. Yeah. And I think those are the type of guys, you, and that's why I think AD and Fletch both stand out because that's exactly what they are. I mean, they're With unbelievable. Great tools. Great tools. I mean, Aaron Donald beats so many double teams. I've never seen a guy beat the center slide guard and center as much as that guy does. Well, because and Fletch, just the yeah. pure power he has in his hands. Like, I've only noticed like two guys whose hands when they grab you. You physically feel their grip strength. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like a very uh, emasculating. Yeah, it's emasculating. <laughs> Fletch does one thing a day in practice every day that everybody in pass rush looks at each other and is like, like "How the?" And we, yeah. you don't even want to say it too much. Fletch is my guy, but I don't want to pump his head up. But yeah. we just look at each other and we're like, "Damn." Yeah. Um, but for me, I would put those two guys you mentioned up with uh, in the the. Yeah, I'd say this endearingly, Dirtbag Hall of Fame with Harvey <laughs> Dahl, who I played with. Do you remember Harvey Dahl? I, I, the name is familiar. Yeah, he was in Atlanta. I'm, okay. I'm dating myself now. Yeah, no. Uh, but he lost a ton of weight now. He, he was like 280. He was a guard, maybe 300 pounds. He's about 200 I know the now. name, and I'm, I've seen him play. Yeah, sure. so switching gears, um, I would, I, I want to know, like, because a lot of people don't talk about you understand your athleticism well. You understand your strengths, your weaknesses, yeah. and you're, you're a mental athlete. And like for me, I read about how you started out. You played lacrosse, mm -hmm. you played hockey, yep. played football, mm -hmm. uh, all those different sports. You get to Cincy, you're a running back. Yeah, a and, linebacker. And you're a linebacker and a guard. And or yeah. how quickly did it go from skill guy to guard and how much did that help you in your transition? Yeah. I mean, did it make you better? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think, me and my brother both played a lot of sports growing up. Like I played, I think you just said lacrosse, hockey, and football yeah. in high school. But even before that, you know, I played soccer growing up. We both uh, took karate classes. I wrestled for a little karate. bit. I, I only made it to yellow belt. It was a very small. I was small... a yellow belt too. Hey, there we go. Dude. <laughs> okay. But I, I do think that like um, playing like baseball mm -hmm. uh, and playing all these different sports, you start to develop like different techniques and different things that are good for those sports right. and then you start to understand how to like 
correlate them to other sports. Right. Like um, my lacrosse coach in high school used to be furious because I used to do this like move with my stick where I'd go like that. And he, I'd be like, it's a swim move. Were you an attackman? Uh, I was midi attack, uh. yeah. So like if I was setting a guy up, they would just want me to come here right. and dodge. But I would come here and literally swim move yeah. because I felt like I was playing defense. Yeah. And um, it worked a lot. Yeah. Even though it would piss off my lacrosse coach. But. Yeah, but coaches don't always know what they're talking about. No, not all the time. So you're at Cincinnati. You're you're forced to change positions within a year, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, you weren't exactly like a highly touted recruit, right? Just a walk-on. Yeah, you were a walk-on. Um, and you're changing positions. How do you turn that negative into a positive? And, you know, how, how do you make that work? Well, I think it was good that I had already been humbled. So like being, a, so in high school, I was a really good athlete and I thought of myself as like um, very highly, you know, I, and then obviously I go uh, the whole recruiting process and don't get a scholarship offer from any division one, a schools. Right. And, um, you know, I think when I made that decision to walk on to Cincinnati, I didn't really have a lot of preconceived expectations. Uh, my really, my expectation was just to find out if I can play at that level. And I think I realized as a freshman that I could, like, you know, I actually once defensive scout team player of the year Is as you, a linebacker. You got yeah. that plaque? I got that. I got you the have plaque, yeah. Ring? I got the plaque, and then they gave us, like, dog tags at the time. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, I still have that. And, um, but they don't know what they're, they know, they don't know what they're talking about evaluating high school talent, for one. They for sure. say a lot of times they don't know what they're talking about in the pros. Yeah. But, but, but I think it's better to go under the radar coming out of high school than it is coming out of the pros. For sure. And there's money involved, there's a hierarchy. Absolutely. But, and, and, and part of it was because of what we just talked about with the multi-sports. Yeah. I never really focused on football. I didn't lift weights. Mm -hmm. I didn't uh, have like an off season that I dedicated to getting better at football. So I was very much like a raw football player. Right. And um, when I got to Cincinnati, obviously that changes. Yeah. I became a one-sport athlete. I trained year-round for it. I started lifting weights. I got a lot stronger. Um, and you have no bad habits at yeah. your position. Yeah. I mean, you learn from scratch. Yeah. Um, and one thing I think about like the Cincinnati thing is, I mean, it was kind of like a quiet hotbed for a lot of talent. I mean, you know, you had Connor. Yep. Uh, Gilliard, Selleck, yep. uh, Derek Wolf, over Wolf who's Denver, a great player. My brother. Uh, your bro. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, do you look at that list? That's a lot of great pros at Cincinnati, and, and they had to be doing something right. But I but I wouldn't say, I never, like, I'm not going to be one to say, like, they did shit right intentionally because they didn't offer you a scholarship. So, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a hit or miss game in, 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 uh, in college recruiting. You come out of Cincinnati, you end up in Philly, and, uh, you know, again, you're under the radar a little bit, in my opinion. Um, but one thing you had that a lot of players don't have right off the bat is great coaches, right? Absolutely. You know, you had Howard Mudd. Yep. Um, and then you go to Jeff Stoutland. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about often, it's like, it's not a given that your NFL coach is a great coach. No. Yeah, nah. There's a lot of bad coaches, I think. And that's not, that's not disrespectful to the profession. I just think there's a shortage of great coaches. So what does that mean to have... You know, to hit the lotto twice really is, is what I think he did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been very lucky. I mean, yeah. um, you know, obviously being an undersized guy coming out of Cincinnati, I'm already limited in, on the number of teams that are like interested, right? Yeah. Um, you know, certain styles of offense have already not even interested at all. Right. Um, so, you know, 
obviously Howard worked with Jeff Saturday in Indianapolis. He's he likes athletic offensive line. He likes especially at that position a guy that can get out, and move, uh, get out on screens, block the second level. Um, so he took a shot on me. Yeah. And the Eagles, Howie Roseman, they took yeah. a shot on me. So um, I'm forever in, in debt to those guys for just giving me an opportunity, really. Um, and again, as a six-round pick, I didn't really have expectations. My expectations were to, to play in the league and make the team. Gift and a curse, too, right? You yeah. Know, and, you know. Um, you know, for me, you know, right away in training camp, you know, Howard, his techniques started making me a better player. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of techniques that were very conducive for smaller guys. Um, a lot of plays are really conducive for smaller guys. So I started to stand out. Um, and there was another guy there, Jamal Jackson, who helped me along as well. Mm -hmm. He's a veteran player. And having a vet that helps, because like my thing, the biggest dick move to me is a vet that doesn't help younger players. No doubt. I mean, like you're not, you're like I understand, like it's a business. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're secure yeah. and you know you're a good dude, I think you're gonna help the younger players. So you got that Absolutely. and and uh, Mud, and I just remember like when Mud came to visit. And you love Stout. I mean, that's well documented. Like mm -hmm. it'd be impossible to pick between the two. They're so awesome. Yeah, for but, sure. But but I remember Mud came to our hotel one night, mm -hmm. uh, maybe in Seattle. We played Seattle. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I just remember, I saw you guys hug, and I'm like, that's a deep bond, man. That's that's yeah. that's real. And you got it with him, and you got it with Stout. What'd you learn from from each one? Do you have one technique that that stands out? So Howard, uh, one of the first things he taught me was the hop technique. Which, as you know, like when you're getting bull rushers, one of two things you can do. You awesome. can you hop a lot. Yeah. So I'm not, it's hard for smaller guys yeah. to walk guys back uh, leg by leg. Um, but when I have good hips and I can bend. So, yeah. like, yeah. if I'm getting bull rushed, I can kind of hop back and readjust and get up underneath. Mm -hmm. um, that was a game that really helped me in a game, my probably biggest weakness on the field, which is anchoring against a bull rush. But you do it without leaning. Yeah. And that's the key, you know. If a guy's hopping and he sets, yeah, and then he drops his head, he's gonna yeah. get, he's gonna get tossed. Um, but I don't cool. see you get tossed a lot. It's hard, yeah. yeah. You know, you you do it enough times, and there's a drill where uh, you you let a guy kind of grab you by the chest, push you, pull you in every direction. You have to really try and maintain balance. And yeah. It's hard to do for sure. Um, but that was probably the biggest thing that Howard. Um, gave me in terms of a technique yeah. um, the other thing that a lot of people don't know about Howard is he's a very psychological coach yeah. um, he's he's and I still call him you know once a year to like kind of pick his brain ask advice um, you know uh, from anything mm -hmm. um, and uh, he's uh, obviously he's been coaching in the NFL for a very long time he's been through every scenario as a player and as a coach mm -hmm. uh, so and one of the things he did is um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, being in the Matrix. Howard wanted everybody to have a, like, I called it like a mechanism, right? Where if you're ever in a game, you're getting beat, and you're in this mode of like, okay, I'm gonna start doing this, I'm gonna start doing this, and there are things that you'd never do. Let's snap out of that and just get back to the little basic, this one thing, just focus on that. And it completely enabled me snap out of having a bad game because it's, it's rough when that's happening. And What's your mechanism? My mechanism uh, at the time was hop. Now I've since switched it over to uh, getting arms under. Because mm -hmm. I feel like for me, as long as I can set in front of the guy and get my hands underneath, I'm going to be good against the bull. And I'm a pretty good athlete, 
So if he tries to work an edge, I can just kind of go I've seen you there. do the arm under thing, which I is cool. To. Now it sheds some light for me yeah. uh, on like your techniques. What about stout? So stout's a big arm under guy. Yeah. And that's a big reason why that mechanism changed. Cause once I, there was a couple years ago after my sports hernia, where I started struggling with bulls again, right? Mm -hmm. And we, stout preached religiously for an entire year, an entire off season, to work on getting my hands underneath, getting both hands underneath, mm -hmm. not just one. Right. And um, it really rebounded my career. Right. Um, and then you know, there was I, a rebound. For sure. Yeah. Three years ago, I think I had, especially at the start of the season, I had a really rough start. And uh, the last two years, ever since then, really, um, I've played at a much better level. And part of that's too because I get to play next to Brandon Brooks. I get to play next to whether it's Wiz, Isaac, or Chance. All I, I've been playing around really good players, and then having Lane and Jason Peters yeah, out you, there. You guys are the best, in my opinion. Well, uh, objectively, when you have two tackles, especially in pass pro, that can block one on one like religiously, mm -hmm. um, it makes it so much easier because then you can stay firm inside. Uh, you can give a chance for the quarterback to step up. Most teams are not that lucky to have that. No, they're not. And I want to go back to one thing is you talked about you had a bad year or you had a bad start to your year. Yeah, I had a bad. I, which yeah. you're an all pro player. You're somebody I think of as cream of the crop player. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, from a distance, I think even in the NFL, a lot of guys silently have bad years. You know, you might read something and somebody picks up on it, but you know better than anybody. Yeah. Like, what's that kind of rock bottom feeling where you're like, is this going, you know, like, is this it? Am I like trending down or yeah. can I get back up off the mat? Like, you know, what was that like and how did you snap out of it besides um, technique? Well, like you're just saying, so there was a legit point in, the, in that year, it was Doug's first year, where you start, I start to wonder, you know, is, am I good enough to still play? What's going, is, can I still play at that level I used to play at? Is this something that's just going to continue to go downhill as I get older? Um, and then you watch the tape a lot and you try and figure out what's going on and why is this issue occurring. Um, and lucky for me, uh, not only was I watching the tape, but I had Jeff looking at the tape as well. Yeah. And we both made it a point to do extra work, to, to really work on where I was putting my hands, um, to really work on uh, the techniques, whether it's run blocking or pass blocking. Right. And um, I started to play much better. Yeah. And then through another off season where we continue to work that, um, it's really revitalized my career back to what it used to be. Yeah, because really. because the hardest thing to do is to adjust mid-flight. Uh, sure. Like in the middle of the season, you do need that off season to kind of okay. I, I saved it, I salvaged it, but I need to hit the reset button. Yep. And another thing is like as you get older, you know, like age is a funny thing in the NFL. Like nothing makes you feel older than being an NFL player because as you're nearing thirty it starts creeping in your head. Like yeah. you see the end, even if it's not imminent, you know what it takes and everything you have to dump into it every year. And uh, you, you've not made it a secret um, that sometimes after a season, especially on the north side of 30, oh, yeah. like you have to reevaluate. And I agree with that, I've done it too. Uh, what, it, what goes into taking that inventory? What's it like being your, what, 30 now, 31? 31, yeah. And, and there's a big difference for people that don't know. Um, What's that like? What's what's the inventory process, and and what's something that maybe fans or young players don't know about? What hurts like during the week? Oh, what yeah. gets old? Yeah, like well, I, 
what hurts is probably you know specific to each guy, right? But I think that as you play longer, you're going to start hurting more. And as you get older, especially once you pass, uh, you know, really 20, 29, uh, you're not going to recover the same way. Right. So the week becomes harder. Um, and then as injuries add up, you really start to wonder. You start to do those the checks and balances, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're like, man, I still love being in the locker room. I still love playing games. I still love the competitive venue that football gives me to try and beat somebody. Um, Basically, every day of the week sucks except <laughs> Pretty much. I feel that way. Yeah, and, and you start to weigh out, you know, um, is this still something worth doing? Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously uh, coming back for at least one more year. Right. And that hasn't outweighed it yet. Right. Um, but at some point it's going to. And I think that that's what the reevaluation re is. And that's why I think it's good to do after the season. Because in season. Yeah. In uh, season there's some days you're like, I'm done. Yeah, yeah there's some weeks where you, you are just, your knees don't want to work. Um, you know, you're, you're mentally you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and. Whether you're winning or losing can have a big impact on that. Huge. Huge. And um, I think that that's why you have to wait to, for the year to be over, wait a couple weeks for you to completely just detach from the season, uh, wait for the season to be over league-wide, mm -hmm. and uh, just have an honest conversation with yourself, uh, with loved ones. My wife, she's been huge to help me and make these yeah. decisions. And... Um, And this is my burning question. Okay. I have a printer phobia and a scanner phobia. Was that because you're afraid of technology, or you, you know, you sign your contract at, at a UPS store? Yeah. Uh, your extension is that because you're afraid, or you just didn't have one? Certainly not afraid, and I don't know why anybody would have a phobia of those things. I walk into a room, I see a printer, I just start sweating. Why? Because none of them fucking work. But what is that? Why is that a fear of yours? Is that a bird? That was a raven. Or yeah. a lion. It's a bird. Okay. Maybe a vulture. Speak of that. <laughs> I hope it wasn't a fish because. You're, oh my gosh. You're very afraid of fish, and maybe people at home don't know. Yeah. What is it about fish that you're so afraid of? Everything. <laughs> like, is it they're slimy or they're unpredictable? So, I'll preface it a... with a story. Yeah, it's okay. a traumatic experience. Okay, tell me. Um, I was about four or five years old maybe um, and I'm on my cousin's farm in West Virginia and my dad and some of the other guys are fishing in the creek right and they're bringing uh, you were in West Virginia as a creek yeah sorry creek, <laughs> creek. <laughs> I was in the creek so they're they're catching fish and they're throwing them into this tall grass behind them yeah and I'm just a kid over there with them and I just start running through the tall grass and all of a sudden, I'm stepping on fish. They're flopping all over the place. And I freak out. <laughs> Did you fall down? Fell down. I cut my feet on a couple and of the things. there's like fish flapping on your chest. Dude, it was shit. it was bad. But yeah. you say you want to get into fishing. I do. I want to. I'm trying You're to get into fly fishing. Yeah. So what's the scariest type of fish? The bigger the fish, the scarier, yeah. Okay. The scariest being a shark. Right. But, but you wouldn't have to hold one. But if when you fish, like... I mean, you could hold a shark. You could. Like, is there one, like, mid-range fish that you're like, fuck this fish? Anything that I can't hold, like, by the mouth, 
the like gills. this. You, you don't want to hold the gills. No, I'm, I'm still like, I went striper fishing one time in the Chesapeake Bay, and they pulled in this huge striper, and the guys are putting their hands all the way in the thing and up the mouth and got it like, you know. You felt so emasculated. Yeah, no, man, I'm like, not doing that. like. Not interested in that. So what other, do you have any other irrational fears? That's certainly the biggest one. Okay. And it's not even, like, if I'm in the water, like when we were in the Grand Cayman, yep. we were snorkeling. But we were snorkeling like it didn't matter. Right, but the fish, when they started coming at us, I don't know if you noticed this, but I left. <laughs> you, you know what? You didn't say why. I thought you wanted to get another beer. No, no. You were just afraid of the fish. I'm afraid of sharks. I'm deathly afraid of sharks, but you didn't. I get I'm a couple of sharks beers too. In, I get a couple beers in me. Yeah. Fear goes away. Yeah. I'm swimming 30 feet deep, snorkeling, barracudas, tarpon. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. I'm at all times when I'm snorkeling, I'm absolutely terrified. I'm. And the I'm always, I'm always circling, like, cause my fear is like the ones behind me. Yeah. You I, know. I think the only reason that I even snorkel in the first place is because the the. The FOMO fear right. outweighs the right. shark fear. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Because it looks fun. Yeah. And so, I, I don't want to be that guy that's, you know, oh, I didn't go snorkeling because I'm afraid of fish. Right, yeah. yeah. That'd be lame. Chair. That'd be yeah, lame. It'd be no, like not holding a striper. It'd be a pretty bad story. So, one of the most serious questions, I know we have fun with the fish question, but um, mm -hmm. I wanted to check on that trash can from last year. Have you have you stopped in? Is it is it well? Um. I don't know how to answer this. <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> memories of last year was like seeing this trash can fly. It was impressive, 18 feet. You know, I think <laughs> what happened, what did it do to you? Chance cleated me. Chance cleated you. It yeah. wasn't the trash can. And you're not going to kick Chance because Chance is huge. Yeah, I can't kick Chance. Chance is like a bear. And I like Chance. Yeah, so yeah. you don't want to kick Chance. You find the trash can. Yep. And you like gently it. Well, yeah, it was a Wednesday or Thursday. It's the worst day. Yeah, and I'm just like, why did this happen? <laughs> this did not need to happen. It hurts. But you know, it's the little shit that bothers you more than the big shit. Like the yeah. little unnecessary shit, like jamming your toe in a door, getting cleated, like, yeah. you know, just dumb shit like that. So I, I feel you, but I just wanted to check on it. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I, I think that one is okay. in the trash. So. Okay. How's the climb going? How do you feel? What are you taking away from this whole whole thing? Uh, climb's going great. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're 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 walking for a long time. I don't think I've ever walked this long. Yeah. Um, I'm not uh, a big hiker, although maybe I'll get into it after the part. this. Got my Patagonia. Patagonia out, yeah, bro. baby. Sign us up. Dance. <laughs> Um, um, you feeling good though? You're, I am. We're I, at like 11 and a half, we're going to go 19 and a half. Yeah, I, right now I'm doing good. Okay. Uh, I'm curious to see at the next stop where I'm going to be at. Um, but yeah, at 11.4, no headache. Uh, the altitude hasn't really started to affect me too much, I don't think. Um, my, my O2 levels are good. Every time. My, my heart rate's at a good pace. Uh, the guy monitoring us tells me super duper every time so well, he's lying he's yeah i know every time somebody comes out I'm like hey man what, what are my levels i just want to know from my record oh super duper excellent super duper, <laughs> super duper. you got any new friends you like here uh everybody yeah yeah i mean obviously a lot of the football guys i know i mean I, this is my first time meeting minko and 
Um, he's a treat. He's a very, uh, very interesting guy. Mm. Uh, you know, war. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, but even just you know the military personnel, the, the porters, everybody. Um, porters are amazing. Yeah, and then seeing Q yeah. going up and down the trail is like, man, I, I better be able to do this. Yeah. And um, it's it's just awesome seeing all these guys. So, That's great, man. We're glad to have you, man. Thanks for appreciate you, dog. being here, brother. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed, uh, you know, way back here. Actually, it's been almost a year interviewing my buddy, Jason Kelsey, uh, obviously an interesting guy. Next week, uh, we have Haloti Nada coming up. And that was uh, the biggest man on the trip, only by a couple pounds, because we also had Bo Allen. But tipping the scales is about 340. Pretty damn impressive to summit uh, Kilimanjaro. Uh, and Haloti did that. So, Tune in for Haloti, great teammate again, world champion, all pro, all everything uh, with the Baltimore Ravens, then finished his career with Philly and retired on Kilimanjaro. This is an interview uh, right after he retired, actually. So check that out. Also, um, we're closing in on 10,000 subscribers as we speak, which is a nice little milestone for the channel. So be sure to uh, hit subscribe, like, spread the word if you like what we got. And as always, leave your comments and uh, suggestions on how we can improve our little operation here, a little startup. So thank you very much.